Shalom. I'm reading from Acts 3, 19 through 26, the complete Jewish Bible. Therefore, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be erased, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord's presence, and he may send the Messiah appointed in advance for you, that is, Yeshua. He has to remain in heaven until the time comes for restoring everything, as God said long ago when he spoke through the holy prophets. For Moshe himself said, Adonai will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You are to listen to everything he tells you. Everyone who fails to listen to that prophet will be removed from the people and destroyed. Indeed, all the prophets announced these days, starting with Shmuel, San, Samuel, and continuing through all, and continuing through all who followed, you are the sons of the prophets, and you are included in the covenant which God made with our fathers when He said to Abraham, "By your seed will all the families of the earth be blessed." So it, it so it is to you first that God has sent His servant whom he has raised up so that he might bless you by turning each one of you from your evil ways. These messages that we've been started a few weeks ago with Rabbi Chaim, if you were here, um, sort of in the, the vision we have, not to overuse that word too much, is that these messages are sort of in the realm of uh, vision, God's vision, and specifically uh, vision of Yeshua Tzion. Um, I have a uh, friend that was uh, made a fo- Facebook post this past week. I know you read it. Um, a friend who's a student at Denver Seminary who's in the Messianic Jewish Studies program. And uh, he, um, not a, uh, just to give you a little information on him, he's not, not Jewish, but he's worked in, in Jewish uh, uh, mission work, evangelistic outreach work. And he's in the Messianic Judaism program, and he, that's what he desires to do uh, long term. He, uh, I talked last week about a chip on your shoulder. Remember that? How we don't want to have a chip on our shoulder when it comes to some of these, you know, things we, we learn uh, that we feel are the right way and so forth. I wouldn't say he's got a permanent, but he's certainly, so he's got one of these ones that kind of comes and goes. And so this was the time when the chip kind of came and he just went on a, he called it a rant. And he went on a rant and it had to do with, uh, actually had to do with 30 things. He listed 30 things. I won't list 30 things here, but he listed 30 things that uh, he's just tired of hearing with regard to what he put under the umbrella of uh, replacement theology. Um, but I, I did look at him, and, and, the, and the, the truth is there, there's some good things he wrote there, and I wanted to read a few of them to you because um, just little one-liners, but things that we have spoken about recently, things that we're going to speak about recently, and my intention is not to rant on them, but just to bring up a few things that, that kind of I thought were good uh, that he said. So here's a few of them. Uh, he said, uh, Christians are not Israel. He said, Christians are not a Jewish because they believe in Yeshua. The church has not replaced Israel in any way. The Jewish people are still the chosen people, and that cannot be removed from them. Being chosen people does not make them better than Gentiles. Being chosen people means God has a history and a specific plan for them. Yeshua is the only Messiah for all humanity, Jew and Gentile. Yeshua is Jewish. Paul is Jewish. 
uh, Jewish people do not suddenly become raceless when they accept their own Jewish Messiah. They are born and will die as Jews. There are a few things he said. There were some other ones that are probably not fit for, you know, prime time uh, <laughs> public consumption. But uh, anyways, he, again, he, he means well. And I think these are some good things. To, and some of these things you may have heard, some you may have no idea what we're talking about. But again, uh, bring them up because they sort of uh, fall in line with where Rabbi Chaim started us out a few weeks ago. And if you were here, or if you weren't here, uh, I want to go over some of the things that he, he started us off with um, because they relate to some of these items. And, you know, when he spoke, his big idea, so to speak, was you know, looking at the, the scriptures and, and coming to the conclusion and, and sort of not being able to get away from the fact that Israel is special. And he talked about when we understand that, we understand that Israel is chosen, we have a choice of reactions that we can take. We can decide to not like that. And we can say, okay, well, in that case, let's look at the scriptures in a way to, to interpret them such that the church has replaced Israel. Those who are not a people now are people, and that has replaced Israel. That's one tact we can take, Chaim said. The other is that we can uh, decide that that's really good, and then we can go and look for every you know, possible drop or shred of DNA evidence in our life that, hey, we're Jewish. You know, We can try to get in that way. And there's other ways, other, other responses as well, but he, he pointed those two out in particular. And he kind of landed at the end of the, of the message with the fact that, look, this is, this is important to realize because Israel then becomes the poster child for God's mercy, God's grace, God's chesed. It's not putting one over the other, but that when we understand the way in which God deals with, with Israel, it gives us more confidence in, in how he's going to deal with us and how he is committed to his promises and to his plans for us. And so, Chaim said, you know, this is kind of a, an essential thing that, you know, we need to really get inside of us so that, uh, you know, it's really a part of... <clears throat> of who we are as a community. And so that's kind of where we started off. And then last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, and what's commonly uh, you know, spoken about as the one new man of Ephesians 2. And, and we looked at that, and I, we came to the conclusion, or at least I came to the conclusion, and hopefully and no one came up and shook a finger. I mean, hopefully you agreed at least somewhat with my conclusions, um, that this one new man... That's spoken about in Ephesians 2 is not sort of the, the amalgamation, the mixture, the, the pressing together of, you know, you've got Jew, you've got Gentile, now God has taken them and made a third race of Christian. That, that that's not, in fact, what he has done, uh, made some indistinguishable, you know, person that we can't look at any characteristics to determine, you know, there's, there's unity in Messiah because there's uniformity. We said, no, that's not what's going on in Ephesians 2 but that this new man uh, is, uh, is, is a spiritual dwelling place for Jew to be Jew, Gentile to be Gentile, and so forth. So that's kind of where we were there. And this week, what I wanted to look at and to discuss, and again, these are, you know, I said last week also about that one new man, is this is sort of a, you know, more of a Messianic Jewish topic, you know, because of some of the things we read in Scripture about there not being any Jew, there not being any Greek, and things about Ephesians 2 here that sometimes make us wonder, you know, what are we doing? Are we, are we trying to, anyways, these different things. I think this topic today is also one of those topics, this idea of uh, to the Jew first. If you've been around the Messianic movement any time or in a Messianic congregation, you've, you've uh, probably run across that, this idea that the gospel is to 
the Jew first. And when, when that statement is made, I think the majority of us um, think about Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Um, but I read from Acts, had Acts 3 read, um, kind of as, a, I don't want to say it's a diversion, because we're actually going to spend some time looking at Romans 1.16 more than anything. But the reason I had Acts chapter 3 read is that as I was looking uh, at this topic this week and looking at different passages uh, with regard to, you know, to the Jew first, I realized it ain't all about Romans 1.16. I mean, this is everywhere. Many places in the New Testament, and also as well as the Old, the Old Testament as well, uh, the Hebrew Bible, um, here in Acts chapter 3 is just one of those occurrences, so I did want to read it. Um, if you'll recall, uh, maybe a month or more ago, we, did, we were in a series in the book of Acts, and uh, we came across right before this, this is in chapter 3, where Peter is, you know, where this lame man has been healed, and everybody looks at him and says, how did this happen, as if Peter somehow did it, and he said, no, this is because of Yeshua, this is the name by which all people are saved, wiping, the wiping out of your sins, and that, uh, right at the, we didn't read through this part here, but I thought it was kind of cool because right at the end here he says, look, this is all part of what was said and part of the fulfillment through the Abrahamic covenant to you first. And then who was he talking to? The you. That was, those were the Jews in the temple. So, again, Romans 1.16 is not nearly by a long shot uh, the first time we're introduced to, to the idea of the gospel being to the Jew first. But I want to look at, into that a little bit today and look at some of the, the ways in which... Uh, this verse has been taken, this verse can be taken, and kind of see where we might land on that. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn, into, turn to Romans. We'll be, we're going to go a few places there. You can stay in Romans. This is Romans chapter 1. I do want to look at Romans 1.16 kind of as our, as our basis point for this idea of to the Jew first, uh, because it is probably the most explicit in, in one way. Um, and I'm going to flip around to some other places as well, and you can follow me as I'll give you a minute to flip to some other places, but I'll read all the, I'll read all the Scripture references for you, so if you want to just sit back, you can do that as well. well Romans 1.16, this is Paul speaking. Most of us are familiar with it. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And uh, you'll have some different ways that's translated. We'll talk about a few of those. Um, some places it's going to vary on faith. Other places it's going to be very in another area, which I'm going to spend some time talking about. But for I am not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation, everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and the Greek, and also the Greek. So how is this verse typically handled, interpreted? Um, I'm going to go through a couple of ways that this is historically, or not historically, but this is... Uh, uh, been interpreted, and just so you know, what I'm, what I don't intend to do, is to build uh, what's called a straw man fallacy. Anyone know what a straw man fallacy is? It's this idea that you come up with, just sort of, you make up an idea and you sort of prop it up like it's just a lifeless, you know, scarecrow or something, and just so you can knock it over. It's, ah, people believe this, and you just knock it over. I I do want to knock over some <laughs> some some ideas today, but I'm not doing it in that respect. The, I, the, the, the interpretations that I go over today that I intend to, to topple down, if you will, um, these are um, legitimate, published, practiced interpretations. These are not things I just made up. These are things that I've read about in commentaries, that I've read about in other books, uh, and I'll even read an excerpt from, from, from one or two of these things. So, uh, again, these are from some good sources that are really out there, some thoughts about, you know, what's Romans 116 all about. 
So the first way in which Romans 1.16 is, is, uh, is talked about, and it's a pretty popular one, it's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to label. Uh, if you want to write these down, you can. Uh, it won't hurt my feelings if you don't. But uh, the first one is called what's called the historical interpretation of this. Historical. Um, and that the idea that the gospel was to the Jew first. Then it went to the then it went to the Gentiles, and there it has remained. Okay, that's the historical view. And just to give you an example, I, I had a pretty cons- what I would call conservative, uh, solid academic commentary. Here's what that here's some things that they had to say about Romans one sixteen. It says because the Jews were God's chosen people, and they give references to that to support it. They give some scriptures and so forth. Um, it said because the Jews were God's chosen people, the custodians or the, the keepers of God's revelation, and again, they give some references as to how they were the keeper of God's revelation, and they were the people through whom the Messiah came, they're not disputing that, they give some references for that as well, some scriptures, it says, because of all that, they have a preference of privilege, excuse me, expressed historically in a chronological priority, sounds pretty, some tricky words there, right, so because of all this stuff, God, they were God's chosen people, the custodians of God's revelation. Messiah came through them. Because of that, they do have a priority, historically, and in a chronological priority. They go on to say that today, evangelism of the world must include Jews. All right, that's good. But the priority of the Jews has been fulfilled. And they give no references. They just make that statement. Just make that statement, just, just like that. This is a good commentary, by the way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. Today, evangelism must include Jews, but the priority of the Jews has been fulfilled, period. On to the next sentence. No footnote, no reference, no nothing. Absent. Well, is that true? Has the priority? In other words, when Romans 1.16 says, to the Jew first, this word first, this is the Greek word for first. We get our word uh, prototype from that. It's proton. Uh, has that been fulfilled? No answer. Okay. Yes and no. Nah, yes and no. Look at that, Mike. <laughs> if you want to turn over to Acts, I want to go to the book of Acts. And again, I'll read it for you if you don't want to go there. That's fine. Uh, Acts chapter 13 and verse 42. So has it been fulfilled historically? Acts 13 is starting at 42. I don't know why I flipped there. I've got it right here. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people urged them to speak about these things again the next Sabbath. When the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who spoke to them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And blaspheming, they contradicted what was spoken by Paul. Then both Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken first to you, since you reject it and judge yourselves to be unworthy of eternal life. We are now turning to the Gentiles. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah. Now, except for a couple things. Number one, the fact that if you, if, if you wanted to take a, a study, and there are some good ones out there, of the word that's translated Jew, typically in, in, in the Greek New Testament, it's, a, it's in there a lot. Jew, Jews, Jews, the Jews, the Jews, the Jew. It means a lot of things. <laughs> it can mean those that are geographically, like you know, the Coloradans, those from Judea. 
It can mean the Jews in the sense of uh, Jewish people, for sure. It can mean the Jews, and I think in, this, in the sense here, you see it used interchangeably between Jewish believers and Jewish leaders. So that's one kind of problem, I think, to say that, yeah, you know, historically, Paul turned, from the, turned and brought it to the Gentiles. That's one problem. Um, another problem, though, with that, that was, that was Acts 13. You go down to the next chapter, just like two verses later, uh, and it says that, in, in, verse four, in chapter 14, it says that the same thing occurred in Iconium, where Paul and Barnabas went into the Jewish synagogue. And then again in chapter 17, and there's actually intervening places as well. Chapter 17 says, After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and raise from the dead, rise from the dead. He was there for at least three weeks, right? Three Sabbaths. <laughs> so what's going on here? Is Paul uh, schizophrenic? Is he, what do they call, you know, uh, dementia? Is he just non-committal? Wishy-washy, you know? I, he said he was going to the Gentiles, right? He said the taken away from the Jews, he's going to the Gentiles. Is he just fickle, you know? We all know he claimed to be an apostle of the Gentiles. What's going on here, right? If, in fact, historically, the gospel was to the Jew first, but now it has gone to the Gentile. Well, let's go back to Romans 1.16, because I think, again, this is where we want to come back to. I think take a little closer look at this verse. I think this is where our answer and where our real direction should lie. There are some translations, and when we're in this, remember, we're in this, this first one, this historical interpretation. There are translations that render this verse, you know, that it says the gospel is to the first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Does anyone have a translation that says then to the Gentile? Because there are some out there. Actually, I think the NIV actually has then to the Gentile. Because that is one place. <clears throat> we talked last week about how translations can make a difference in some cases, how we interpret things. But uh, this is one place where the historical interpretation does come from. Not the only place. People don't focus just on this word. They look at other passages like I just read there too. Um, but this idea of, of, of the gospel went to the Jew, yes, first, then it, to the Gentile, and there it stayed. So a few things about that interpretation uh, to, to tell you. Number one is this word, um, there are about 100, 138,000 or more words in the Greek New Testament. Okay, 138,000, there's a few more than that. Uh, and then the, very, the, most, the most commonly used word is the word the. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's, that accounts for a large percentage of, of New Testament words. But the second most commonly used word in the New Testament is the word that's right here, that's the NIV or some other translations have translated as then. This word occurs like 9,000 times. If you learn this word, you know like 7% of the words in the New Testament. Okay? That's how they motivate you in seminary to say, oh, memorize, you'll know 7% of the New Testament. So it's the, sec it's the second word. It is true, though. It's the second word, uh, second word you ever learn. Um, and at its, it's a conjunction. Anybody know what a conjunction is? Anybody remember Schoolhouse Rock if you were born in this uh, country? Connecting sentences and phrases and clauses, right? Conjunction, junction. What's your function? So this is a conjunction. This is the very common conjunction. And it just means and, even, or also. That's the general way. This, that's what this, there's not a big debate. I mean, there's lots of debates about words. In the, this is not one of them. This word means and, even, also. It can be translated then. I mean, the, pa the, the, the section in the dictionary is like two or three pages on this conjunction. Way in there, in the depths of that, is then. 
It can be transited then, but you have to realize that's an interpretation. In general, this is a conjunction. It's the second most common word in the New Testament. It's and, even, or also. Okay? Um, but that aside, I think the, the more difficult <coughs> thing standing in the way of this historical view, and the idea being that it was to the Jew first, then it went to the Greek, is really more than just that conjunction. It's the rest of this verse in its entirety. It's the, the nature of those verbs that are being used here. There's about two verbs that are being used to say that the gospel is, you know, is to, the, to the Jew and then the Greek. It's the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes. Okay, Two verbs there. The verb for is. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So you got is and you got believes. Those verbs are, are expressed in a way of that they are, like it's is, it's not were, it's not believes, it's not believed. It's very, these are very specific ways that are, these are verbs that are in the present tense and they're ongoing is what they call them. Okay, there's fancy words for that, but that's the idea that this is something that is and it continues. So I have a question for you. Um, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Is that still true today? Okay, so if the gospel still is the power of God to salvation, and it still is for everyone who believes, then the gospel still is for the Jew first, okay? Thus ends my discussion of the historical view, <laughs> okay? That's the historical position. It's a real position. You're going to read about it. I'm not claiming I've got the market cornered on interpretation. This is the view I've taken. There are debates about it, so you, just so you know. That's the debate in general. It gets a lot more technical than that even, but that's the overview. The second uh, way that, that Romans 1.16 is often handled is what's called, uh, I'm going to label as the logistical view, okay? This is not a really big one. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this one because this logistical is a big word for just procedure, how-to, policy, procedure, how, how we're to do it. In a, in a good sense, people who take the logistical, logistical view say, yeah, I do believe the gospel is to the Jew first. And then it's like, you know, they, they're starting to throw little kids out of their way to get to a Jew, you know, knocking, you know, folks over because it has to go to the Jew first, right? Uh, and that's the way it goes. But really, I think that's, that's a bit of a, uh, one of those ditches Chaim talks about. That's one of those overcorrections. You know, we're going down the, the road and we say, wait a minute, the gospel is to the Jew first. We're, we're on the shoulder a little bit and we just yank the wheel back the other way and we careen across the traffic and, you know, flip our car and stuff like that. So, not, that, that's about all there is to say about the logistical view. I bring it up because, believe it or not, there's some that feel that way, you know, that until every single, you know, ignore every single Roman believer that's not Jewish, is what Paul is saying, until you get the message to all the Jews first. Then you can move on. We laugh, but it's, again, it's a real view. The last two views are, are kind of, I feel that they're, they're kind of coupled into the same, they're under the same umbrella and the first of the two is, uh, you may have heard about the two-covenant view. Anyone heard of two-covenant? Okay. This is uh, the, the basics of the two-covenant theology. Uh, basically say that, you know what? Jews have suffered a lot over the years. Judaism is a valid religion. Uh, and, and you know what? We don't have to, you know, we, we bring the gospel to them. It's an offense. And anyways, they've got the Mosaic Covenant. And they've already, they've, God's made a covenant with them, and it is binding, and it's not going anywhere, uh, which, by the way, we believe also in terms of relationship and so forth. But because of that, the two-covenant theology says that um, Jews don't need 
the gospel. They don't need the Messiah. So it went to them, but they've got the Mosaic Covenant. Nothing to worry about there, okay? Don't share the gospel with them. Um, big problem with that one, I think. And really, we could go a lot of places, but let's just go to John chapter 14. I'll read this one to you. John 14, verse 6 says, That Yeshua said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes through the fa- to the Father except through me. This was, you know, to try to twist this, and believe me, this, you look up two covenant, you know, theology, you'll find stuff written on it, and very lucid, very good sounding explanations. This is a hard one to get around here, I think. Uh, This is what Yeshua said to his Jewish disciples. There's no Gentiles in view here. I don't see how we could possibly argue that, you know, Yeshua was talking about Gentile believers in view here at all. Um, So as my friend, I think in this respect, properly ranted that, uh, Yeshua is either the Messiah for um, uh, everybody, or he's the Messiah for nobody. We can't say that Yeshua is for the, the Gentiles, but not for the Jews, because they have the Mosaic Covenant due to the uh, two-covenant theory, okay? Two-covenant theology. And this brings us to our final view. Again, we've looked at to the Jew first being a historical idea that it was to the Jew first, and then it went to the Gentiles, and it has stayed there. We've looked at it as in the sense of you're not doing your duty if you don't share it to a Jew first, and I knock this Jew over to get to that, you know, that, that, this Gentile over to get to this Jew. It, it, that, that's one view. Uh, the idea that, you know what, the Jews don't need it because they've got their own covenant. But the fourth one is, is uh, this one. And I think a lot, I think this is where a lot of good Bible-believing people are today. Uh, and namely, it's a position, what I would say, of confusion or simply just indifference, Okay? In other words, we believe the words of Paul. We believe uh, even that the message is to... Actually, we believe, you know... We don't believe that the church has replaced Israel, but we believe that the message is certainly to the Jew first. We're convinced of that. But we just don't know how to go about it. And so we don't. Okay? And we're indifferent about it. And this is a position that uh, creates what what Rabbi Chaim uh, often calls... I don't know if he said it here or not, but we talk about it uh, sometimes... He calls this replacement theology light, <laughs> you know, like light beer or something. It's not full-fledged replacement theology. And honestly, it's a lot of what I experienced, even at the, a particular institution that will go unnamed at this point. But honestly, because people, you know, I had professors say certain things to me, like, not to me, but to classes, like, we do not espouse replacement theology. We don't, we don't believe in replacement theology. But then, you know, in word, no. But the reality is, in action, yes. And again, not through any devious reason, but because we don't really know what to do with it, and we're a bit indifferent about it. Um, some even go so far as to say that, yes, Jews need the Messiah, yes, but Jews don't accept the message that easily. And it is therefore a very God-sized task. Um, I mean, let's look, at, let's look at the evidence. Yeshua himself, we talked about back in, in Luke chapter 4 many weeks back, uh, He's bringing the message to Jews. What happened to him? They tried to throw him off a cliff, right? And how many times you read in, in, in Paul's writings where he's taken to the edge of the city, he's stoned, or you know, basically had to play dead to get away. You know, uh, it's a, it's a. They, these guys had difficulty. You know, Paul ends his life in Rome, exiled. How much good can I do? And some have even been quoted as saying things like, you know, Jews don't come to faith through proclamation; they come through revelation because it's God's deal, right? That sounds very good. In other words, it's hard. We don't know what to do with it. It's not our ministry focus, so it must be God's problem. Um, 
And I think it is a difficult thing. Uh, question, you have a question, Chase? Oh, yes. The quick one is that the church has replaced Israel. <coughs> that anytime we read in the Bible, Israel, insert Gentile believers in Jesus. That's the quick encapsulation. There's more to it, I can tell you. That's the, kind of the quick, down and dirty one. Good question. Um, so, again, if you've been involved in, in, in Messianic ministry, or even for myself, I can think of where I came from. It was a difficult road. Uh, it's best left up to God, right? This is really his, his problem. And I agree, and I think that's why he left us with Paul's words, and not just the words we're looking at here in Romans 1.16. I want to look at a few other of these words um, that Paul has left us with regard to this being God's problem and what has led, I think, to indifference in a lot of cases um, to what, what we're told here in Romans 1. Anybody heard of the Romans Road before? <laughs> Apparently this is pretty popular in churches, I guess. I did learn about the Romans Road uh, when I was like 30 years old, but I guess people learn about this when they're growing up in, in the, 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 the church. It's this, uh, um, anyone not know what that is? Okay, Romans Road is a, there's a, some verses of scripture all throughout Romans where you sort of make a stop along the road and you take people through to teach them about God's, the gospel. Starts off like, you know, the, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then you go to the part of Romans where it says, you know, that, uh, um, you know, what's that? The wages of sin is death and so forth. And you eventually get to a particular stop on the Romans road in Romans chapter 10 that says, uh, uh, you know, if you confess with your lips that Yeshua is Lord, believe in your heart that he's the Messiah, that he's raised from the dead, that you'll be saved. And everyone who calls on his name will be saved. That's in, in Romans 10. That's one of the stops along the Romans road. Um, verse 14, those which is not typically included in the Romans road uh, of that same uh, chapter, chapter 10, says that, but how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? So faith comes from what is heard, or you, you often hear it quoted, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Um, and it's in this exact, it's in this context, when you think about the context of this part of the Romans road, this is being spoken about the salvation of Israel. It's part of a, a larger chapter uh, of chapters 9 through 11, which um, many people sort of see as a little side note, a little vacation for a minute Paul took in the, in the bigger you know, book of Romans because this is all about Israel and salvation of Israel. Um, and this, is, this in itself is a huge study if you look at uh, Romans chapters 9 through 11. Um, and I'm not going to look at all the chapters 9 through 11, but I want to stop and take a quick look at the beginning of this section, which is chapter 9. Because uh, this is about to the Jew first, being God's concern, and what God is telling us about it through Paul. Again, I think the words here, we can, we can be in uh, this, this view, we can be indifferent about you know, the gospel being to the Jew first or not knowing what to do with it, or we can look to the word to instruct us in some way. Beginning of chapter 9, Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Messiah for the sake of my own people, my kindred according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. We read that in Ephesians 2 last week as well. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, comes the Messiah who is over all and God blessed forever. Amen. I think, at least from a 
a, a mental standpoint here, this should be the final word on any view of indifference, of not knowing what to do with it and just then therefore not doing much about it, praying for uh, revelation versus proclamation or what have you. Did you catch what Paul said there at the beginning? Because I don't think I did the first time I read this or even think I knew this verse existed, but he says that I wish I were accursed and cut off from Messiah. You know, I, don't th- I would venture to say, and I'd be willing to give just about everyone in this room credit for the fact that if, if, if it was a matter of dying for your faith, I think you would, you would do it. Gun to your head. Yeshua the Messiah, yes or no? Yes, I pull the trigger, no. I think there's many of us in here that would say yes, and we would, we would take the bullet. But that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul is basically, Paul is saying, I will give up my eternal life for the sake of my brothers, for the sake of the Jewish people. This is from, we read in Acts 13, you know, I'm moving away from you to go to the Gentiles. This is that same guy. This is from the so-called apostle to the Gentiles. You would think, if, it, if anything, he would be reaffirming his commitment and, to, to, his Gentile, to the Gentiles that he's called, called to, his burden, recommitting his burden to them. But no, he says, he says, I wish I were accursed and cut off from Messiah for my brothers. You know, when I first heard this idea of the gospel being to the Jew first, uh, I found myself more in this last category I've been talking about. I mean, I never thought of the, the verb tenses and the translation of the second most popular word in Greek and this kind of thing. I think I found myself really in this fourth category of, yes, yeah, it sure does say to the Jew first. <laughs> it says in other places, and that's what the Abrahamic covenant's about, and, but I don't know what to do with that, and I think I kind of, you know, I'm glad that I found this information out, but I don't know what to do with it beyond that. I mean, going to Jewish people is difficult and so forth. Um, but I think I found myself in that category. It seemed a bit uh, hard, unwieldy, if you will. It seemed difficult to, to really take to the Jew first seriously. And quite honestly, I don't know if this is where you are or not, I found it to be kind of unfair sounding. You know, kind of sounded unfair to me to go to the Jew first, you know. I didn't know how to approach this, how to balance out my, my understanding that I'm called to be a witness to the world, to everybody, right? But to the Jew first. I didn't know how to balance that out, you know? Anybody know the name Florencio Avalos? I don't know. Chris Ayers, don't Google it right now, just so you know. I was, I'm wor- <laughs> I was worried that Chris would Google it, come up with the answer. I had no idea. I've never met you before in my life. <laughs> Florencio Avalos. Here goes Diane. Look at that. You know, it's teasing. Florencio Avalos. Back in 2010, in August 2010, I um, I started going to seminary full time, and I was in my first semester and working real hard in the library. And I found myself distracted uh, as I was working on my first semester of papers and stuff like that with a story in the news of about 33. South American Chilean miners that were stuck 2,300 feet below the ground. 2,300 feet below the ground in the Atacama Desert in, 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 in the other, whatever, north of the capital of Chile. 2,300 feet. Now, just for perspective, the, uh, I think the Statue of Liberty is about 330 feet. Okay? Eiffel Tower, 1,000 feet. Okay? Uh, and then the, uh, what's the other one? Empire State Building. It's like 1,200, a little bit more. There's one, there's one place in, that's got this big Burj Khalifa or something like that in, in uh, uh, Dubai that's like 
2,700 feet. A little thing with that thing, you know, that thing that's on the top. That, that would stick out the top. 2,300 feet. And I was glued to the, to the set. And, and then when I found out that they got the little hole down there to keep them alive, man, I was, ex- I mean, I was excited. And then when they got that, you know, there was actually a company, I think, out of Denver that had the drill bit or something, or, or Boulder, I think, that did the drill bit. Anyways, it was, man, it was, did anyone else watch it? I mean, I was, I, I was at a point where I had to watch every single one of those guys get out. And I could not, you know, you start learning about who was in there, and there were some sick people in there, people that needed medical. And I'm like, get them out first. You know, I wanted them out first. Well, what they did, they took these 33, and they divided them into different groups. And the first group they called uh, the skilled, skilled group. And the second group they called the, uh, the weak group, okay? And the third group they called the, the strong group. That was the fuerte, the strong group, Okay. And you know who got out first? Florencio Avalos. What group was he in? Skilled. The strong ones were the ones that could stay down in front of the month. They'd be fine. They'd just chill. You know, they're, they're fine in the man cave, if you will. You know? They had the skilled ones come out first. The skilled, but they got sick people. I wanted the, I wanted the sick people. I wanted them all out at once, but I certainly wanted the sick people out first. didn't seem to make any sense. But guess what? They had a plan. And they decided that the skilled, the most skilled, the most a, you know, able to deal with any problems on that ascent of 2,300 feet. These were the guys that could communicate, that could maybe deal with any issues. They were going to be the ones that get stuck if there was a problem. Okay, And Florencio was the first one. He was selected as the first miner to, uh, to get to the surface, take 15 minutes up there. He was the best equipped to deal with any issues. But they had a plan, and the plan was to get everybody out. That was the plan. Now, I don't know if you're connecting the dots with me here, but the... The analogy certainly breaks down, I think, with regard to the Jew first in a big way because you know, Chaim spoke about a couple weeks back, Deuteronomy 7, that God did not choose Israel because he, you, know, they, you were the strongest or the fittest and so forth. So the analogy does break down. But the point I want to pull from that picture is that there was a plan. And it was a plan designed to benefit everyone. And it was a plan designed to get everyone out. And I think that's where we end up with God's message that the gospel is to the Jew first. And that is, which is often a hard one for us to accept, is that, you know what, we can look at all these different ideas and try to figure this and that out, but the bottom line is that it's his principle. And it's supported in the scripture in many places. Other places here in Romans and Acts and and lots of other places. God ordered it that way, regardless of whether some particular Jewish people will hear it, regardless of what happened at one point in history, regardless of whether we really get it or not, at the end of the day, it's God's plan, okay? This doesn't mean that Jews are better than Gentiles. It's just that God simply decided to establish that order. And after all, uh, some order needs to be followed. Now, when we, when we close our service today, we'll, uh, we'll have what, you know, a lot of, if you've been here before, we hear the Aaronic benediction, which is ch- uh, number six, verse 24 to 26, Walter, I don't know if you're familiar with that verse, but may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious <laughs> unto you. Uh, it's, you know, we, we, we do that each week, and it's kind of like a send-off, you know? It was Shabbat Shalom, you know? And, and we kind of send us off with the ironic benediction. It's a, it's a great piece of scripture. It's something I've prayed for people before. We pray, we send them off. Sometimes uh, pray uh, or say to our children. Um, but there's a purpose behind it. And I think that purpose is directly related to our topic today. So before we close, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. Psalm 67 begins with 
verbatim, really, actually, this ironic benediction. Slightly different pronominal suffixes and so forth uh, on the end of it, but it's the same, it's the same words. And Psalm 67 says, starts off, verses 1 and 2, say, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your way may be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. That's the purpose of to the Jew first. It's not about being fair or putting one group over another. It's so that everybody, the whole world, will know God's salvation. That's the purpose of the, to the Jew first. That was true then. Back in the psalm was written, well before the Romans 1.16 passage. That was true, you know, it's true now. And it's going to be true henceforth until the Lord returns. Let's take a moment to pray. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, Lord, I pray today that you would help us to wrap our minds around this truth that you have spoken consistently through your word. And that is that namely that as the, as the Jewish people come to know your salvation through the Messiah Yeshua, that the rest of the world comes to know you as well. I ask, Lord, that you help each and every one of us here today to internalize this, to understand it. But moreover, Lord, help us to not just get our minds around it, but help us to wrap our hearts around this the way that Paul did. The way that Paul, who was willing to give up his own eternal life for the sake of your chosen people, Lord, Help us to live this out as individuals and help us to live this out as a messianic Jewish community, Lord. In your name we pray in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.